Food for Thought on News Talk 760 WJR is presented by Farm Bureau Insurance of Michigan and by the Food Bank Council of Michigan, creating a food-secure state. Here's your host, Dr. Phil Knight. Welcome, everyone. Thanks for listening. One of my favorite quotes is from the Spanish-born American philosopher Santanano when he said, To those who do not understand history, they're condemned to repeat it. Man, that hurts. I've done it too many times, and probably so have you. The problem with life is that it uses experience as its teacher, and experience is the cruelest teacher, because it gives the test first and the lesson comes afterwards. Ouch. Problematically, life is just backwards. I can't remember who said that youth is wasted on the young, but they're probably pretty accurate. That's because we live life forward, but we understand it backwards. Hence, Santanana's proverb rings true and with clarity. To those who do not understand history, they're condemned to repeat it. I wonder if we could look back a bit today and see if we can gain some perspective and understanding about this work. I've asked Jerry to think and share with us how this work came about to help him. We've also brought along our guest, Stephanie Johnson, the managing partner for KRKM in Lansing, who has worked with the Food Bank Council as our lobbyist for almost 12 years. Stephanie has seen many changes in this work at the state level and she has helped us to go to unprecedented levels of influence. Come back and be with Jerry Brisson, Stephanie Johnson, and me, Dr. Phil, as we bring you another insightful edition of Food for Thought. Get in touch with the Food Bank Council of Michigan. Visit fbcmich.org. Thanks for listening, everybody. We're back here on Food for Thought. Jerry Brisson, Dr. Phil Knight here in the studio, and as, as promised, on the phone, uh, our advocate, our lobbyist, Stephanie Johnson from KRKM, where she works as a partner there. And uh, Stephanie, welcome to Food for Thought. Thank you very much. Thank you for having me. So it's probably a little surprising for folks who are listening to us to understand that a nonprofit like the Food Bank Council of Michigan that represents the seven food banks across the state has a lobbying firm, and specifically a lobbyist who represents our interest in the, uh, in the halls of the legislature in Lansing. Do you think that, yeah. would, do you think that would be surprising to people? You know, it shouldn't be. Everybody's got a lobbyist somewhere. Um, if you, any organization you belong to, any uh, anything that you generally might pay dues to, my guess is somewhere along the line they have an advocate for them in, in both state government and possibly on the federal level as well. And why shouldn't, why shouldn't the food bank, who does such great work across the state, and um, trying to create self-sufficiency in the lives of the constituents have that kind of voice and access to decision makers both on the state and federal level. And, you know, it's out there that, you know, this is the swamp, right? This is, you know, the muck that nobody wants to talk about. But I just want to say, based on my personal experience, it is way not that. 
Hmm. The the help that we get, and in very practical terms, I didn't start as the president and CEO of Gleaner, Gleaners with a real clear understanding of how the state budget process works or who's on what committees that I should be talking to about the things that are important to the people we serve. And keeping in mind, we're talking about hundreds of thousands of people just in southeast Michigan who are getting served by the food bank and our partner network. So why shouldn't those people's interests be represented in a logical, effective way? It's not just about mm. trying to get our piece of the pie. It's really, if you want to have an effective conversation about what really impacts people, well, you have to be there in the right place at the right time in front of the right people. So I, I'm sure I did a terrible job of, of articulating all the value that you bring to us, but I'm going to say personally, I don't know how we would get this done without having good guidance about what a good process looks like. Well, I think that's exactly it. Um, the The budget process in of itself is a complicated process. You have 110 state House members. You have 38 state senators, all of whom at some point during their, their time in the legislature deal with it a state budget, whether they are on a specific committee or whether they vote for it or against it in on the full chamber, they they all have a decision and they all have a vote. And with that vote, they can make a decision on how they want to proceed u- utilizing state resources. And so as far as having that advocate, you know, our job is to educate these legislators on exactly what it is you do and if they are to expend any state resources how you're utilizing those resources most legislators most people when they choose to run for state office in particular they they do for the right reasons they want to come and they want to do a good job that something compelled them to want to put their name out do all the work it takes to to campaign to get elected and come here and make a difference. And I've met very few, if any, that didn't want to come here to uh, do things that were um, contrary to what they believe was the state interest. Uh, now we can differ on opinion on what is valuable and where state resources should go, but for the most part, everybody has has good intentions and they want to do what's right by not only the state taxpayers and taxpayer money but by the constituents they serve and as as that advocate as that conduit between the the food bank council and the work it does and the legislature it's my job to connect them with individuals that are either out there doing the work in their communities and and where that what's that leading to and how is that enhancing individual quality of life and educating them on uh, the value and the impact that the resources they provide have on the state and have on their constituency. And I want to say that this isn't just a matter of we do well with Democrats or we do well with Republicans. The fact of the matter is, in every kind of of mix of Democrats and Republicans and independents and everybody else that makes up the, the state legislature and the governor's office and, and all of the state department heads, it's always been a mix. And we find broad support for what we do from all of those corners of of government. That's exactly right. Uh, you know, the food security and self-sufficiency, honestly, 
doesn't have a political party attached to it and shouldn't have a political party attached to it. We approach our advocacy with the first and first thought in our mind is how do we continue our mission and how do we honestly put ourselves out of business? The goal of the Food Bank Council is to put itself out of business, to make sure everybody has a meal and when everyone has uh, has access to quality food and and are um, satisfied and, and taken care of in that way, that we're no longer needed. That That's the ultimate goal. And so that doesn't have a party label attached to it. So we make sure that we um, perform our advocacy in, in a manner that doesn't that that doesn't really care about party affiliation. We care. We stick to the specifics. We stick to the facts. We stick to the the benefit and the value, the bang for the dollar, so to speak. And we we really rely on that and that reputation. And it served the food bank very very well. She's Stephanie Johnson. She's a partner with KRKM. She's a advocate the lobbyist for the Food Bank Council of Michigan and our network of seven food banks. She's our guest on Food for Thought. He's Jerry Brisson. I'm Dr. Phil Knight. The three of us will be back in just a moment. And Stephanie, when we come back, I want to talk to you about term limits. We'll be right back in just a moment. It's Food for Thought with Dr. Phil Knight on WJR. Thanks for listening, everybody. Stephanie Johnson's our guest. She is a partner at KRKM. Jerry and I are discussing the role of advocacy and why would the Food Bank Council have a lobbyist? Well, if you ever met Stephanie, you'd know why, because she's very, very good at her job. And she represents us very well, Jerry. And the people we serve, which is one of the things that impresses me about our relationship with KRCAM over all these years is they really ask tough questions of us and they want the answers that any rational person would want. It's not a relationship just based on tell me what you want me to do and I'll do it. It's you guys tell me why this makes sense. Why is this better than that? Mm-hmm. You know, specifically, right down to the dollar, what impact is this making? I mean, and that's how it should be. We should be made better by the relationship and we are. There's no well, doubt about you. it. Yeah. That's for sure. So, um Steph, I want to ask you specifically about term limits um, because, you know, they've been enacted here in Michigan. And, uh, you know, even last year, Lieutenant Governor Calley had, you know, launched his Clean It Up campaign that seems to have kind of died away where he wanted to pursue a part-time legislature. And uh, and you and I had some lunchtime chats about that. And even though we've had many talks about the um, the difficulty it is, even with the present term limits, to do your job and represent us well. So talk to us a little bit about those challenges. Okay. Well, you know, like you said, in Michigan, we have term limits. Term limits were enacted, I believe, oh boy, I think 1994 they were enacted, and so they really started taking effect in um, 90s. I think. Uh, My memory may not be 100% accurate on that, but term limits um, have created a new dynamic in the the legislature, and I guess it's not so new anymore. It's, it's, It's definitely been around long enough to where it's, it's the standard, obviously. But we have uh, six year terms in the house for house members. They can serve two, um, three, two year terms. And then in the Senate, we have 
to four-year terms that they can serve. And those are lifetime limits. So once you serve your six years in the House or your four years in the Senate, you cannot go back to that chamber and serve again. And I think the part that I struggle with in the whole term limit arena is the lack of recognition for experience. When the voters initially enacted term limits, it was to really kind of get rid of that career politician, you know, get, get, get them out of there. They've been in too long. They created thiefdoms. It was, it, it was considered not good for the state interest to have somebody have an office for too long of a period of time. And I don't necessarily disagree with that, but I do believe the way in which we've structured the term limits have actually hurt the state in the long run. You know, six years goes by very, very quickly. If you're fortunate enough to be elected by your voters for your three, two-year terms in the House, that six years, it's, it's think of it like high school in the, in the sense that as you're coming in and as a freshman, you're getting to know who your, who your teachers are and your locker combination and all those things that new people have to go through and have to experience. And then, then you get into that second two-year term, and you, you've got your bearings. You're kind of getting into some specific issue areas. You're really getting um, acquainted with who are the, the real decision makers and who you can trust and who you can't trust. And then your third two years, you're really good. You're really, really good at what you're doing, and then you're gone. And it starts all over again. And we, every election, have a fair amount of turnover in both the House and the Senate of newly elected individuals. And that takes, there's a long process that goes into, as an advocate for the Food Bank Council, getting to know the new individuals, uh, earning their respect, earning their trust, having them become acquainted with your issue areas, finding out what their goals are, what their priorities are, what their agenda is, and developing those relationships. A lot of the um, impact we have as advocates goes back to the kind of relationship we have with the people who are making the decisions. And can they, re- can they trust us, and do they respect what they have, what they hear from us? Um, you, an, a legislator may not necessarily agree with what I'm saying and the position that I'm taking on an issue. But it's very important to me that they know that what I'm saying and what I'm telling them is accurate and factual. And they can they can then make their own decision, but at least they know the quality of the information is is good. And it takes that takes a lot of time and unfortunately term limits have really um hurt the institution in a way that you 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 don't get the deep relationships. It's very difficult for elected officials to hit the ground running as fast as they need to in order to affect the change that they want to in the time limit that they're given. And it and it's also I think the voters initially thought that it would create more opportunities for individuals to become elected officials, kind of put the power back to the people. And in many ways it did. There's a lot of people who have been elected that probably wouldn't have had term limits not been enacted. But at the same time, there needs to be consideration and I I believe consideration and a respect for experience 
and institutional memory. And somehow I think we've lost that along the way, which has has hurt hurt the process for so, sure. I want to just remind people how many issues a legislator has to grapple with. It's It's everything from education and all of the aspects of education, public education, charter schools, public universities, every aspect of education they're going to be asked to vote on. They've got to do things like infrastructure and state departments. They've got to do agriculture, which we're one of the most diverse agricultural states in the country. They have to do um, how businesses interact with each other in hundreds of different of different ways. I mean, it really is an enormous number of issues. And I'm going to say it's no exaggeration that it's tens of thousands of issues that come up regularly in the term of a legislator. And so yeah. it's it's a lot to ask somebody. I mean, even from, you know, the truth of the matter is not many people are going to care much if we make your job harder, Stephanie. I hate to say it, but it's probably true. (laughs) That's true. (laughs) But people should care. People should care that people that want to do a good job have got to have some way of summarizing and, and executively deciding this over that on a on a host of very complex issues. Well, that's absolutely correct, and that's where, in my opinion, the experience comes into play. You know, for individuals who have been have served for a longer period of time, you know, I think again the way Michigan has structured the term limits, I believe it's a little too limiting. I I, I would like to see them uh, look into making some changes that would make some of these terms a little longer. I think that would that would mm-hmm. help significantly. Um, as far as the number of issues that an individual is expected to have to deal with as they get elected and when they come here, yeah, it's unbelievable the number of issues and the details and the nuances and how they have to rely on individuals like myself to kind of help them navigate it because there's just no way a person can know everything about everything all the time which, again, makes it very important for those involved in very uh, in many of organizations that they care about, the food bank being one of them, are willing to engage and be active with their lawmakers and, and help in that process. You know, people sometimes think they can hire a lobbyist and all great problems solved, they'll take care of it. And that's not the way it works at all, and that's certainly not the way I see it, and, and I know Phil can attest to this. I make it very clear from the very beginning, this is a partnership. Um, mm-hmm. I, I can, my job is to be here in the legislature, be here 24-7, be accessible to legislators. They know when they have a question that they can call me at any time and I can work to get them the answer. But I also need a strong client, a strong advocate behind me, getting me that information, responding in a timely manner. Uh, Showing legislators what you're doing in the community, getting them their hands-on experience so they they can see it firsthand what's going on. And a lobbyist can't do that. That's where the advocacy, the grassroots network, network falls into place and people who are doing this day-to-day, that's where they have to come in. And it's very important for any success that they're also a part of it. 
She's Stephanie Johnson. She's a partner at KRKM. She's our lobbyist representing the interest of the seven food banks from across the state. They're in Lansing. He's Jerry Brisson. I'm Dr. Phil Knight. This is Food for Thought. We're going to come back with Stephanie in just a moment. You guys come back and be with us. You're listening to Food for Thought with Dr. Phil Knight. Brought to you by Farm Bureau Insurance of Michigan and the Food Bank Council of Michigan. Welcome back, everybody. Phil Knight here with uh, Jerry Brisson. Stephanie Johnson is our guest. She's a partner at KRKM and works on behalf of the Food Bank Council in Lansing representing us. Stephanie, you know that um, sometimes when you use the term lobbyist, people kind of get a not pleasant look on their face. (laughs) (laughs) About as kind as I can say it. (laughs) Um, And so, um, you know, I just wanted people, Jerry and I wanted people to understand that, yes, the Food Bank Council uh, has a lobbyist, uh, Stephanie Johnson, and it's you. And, you know, and here are some of the super positive things that you've been able to help bring to the network so walk us through the history and the process regarding what we all affectionately call MASS, the Michigan Agricultural Surplus System, and how, oh, that, became okay. a li- how that became a line item in the state budget. Sure. That, that's a fun one. Um, I, I, it's not unheard of for me to tell individuals that it's probably one of my most favorite programs to lobby, and it's because they're at the end of the day, there are so many winners involved in it. Um, you know, Mass was something that was created in Michigan and started here. It was uh, the first of its kind in the country, and the, it re, it came about as a as the food banks became more active with individual growers, they came to learn that there's a lot of food that never was taken out of the field. It would sit sit in the field and go to waste. And as a farmer, that's the last thing you want to see. You, you don't want to see uh, a, a, a truckload of potatoes just go unused and, and, and spoil. You don't want to see uh, a harvest of apples or cherries or whatever the product may be. As a food bank, when at the time that mass started, which was in the early 90s, people were starting to talk about not only having enough food, quantity of food, but they were starting to talk about quality of food, too. And it was coming out that you know various uh, health illnesses and, and diseases that were impacted largely by diet, and people were really trying to work hard at, at looking at the problem from a different angle and saying, how can we improve not only how much individual food that we distribute, but how can we improve on the quality of what we're distributing? Well, after all of these discussions take place, you realize, the the food banks realize, you know, that food that's going to waste in, in that field we can utilize and we can put it in our network. Not only does that increase the amount of food we have in our network, but it also incre- it also puts a quality factor because it's fresh product, it's fresh food into our network, something that we don't get a lot of. We get a lot of soup cans and things like that, but not a lot of apples and not a lot of pears or asparagus or whatever the product might be. In addition, farmers 
are seeing this product go to waste, they don't have an, a, a market for it. Either the the um, grade A market, if it's really good apples, that's saturated and they are unable to unload it anywhere else. Sometimes if there's a year where there's a real bumper crop, some of these crops, they don't have a place to go because the market's full of, of the product. So people sat down, put their heads together, and said, let's form this Michigan Agricultural Surplus System. And this is our way to give farmers a little bit of money for the product, for at least cover the cost that they have either into growing the product or shipping the product from point A to point B. And then let's get this food in our network and let's see what we can do as far as improve not only the quantity but the quality. And out of that, we worked hard to try to create some help from the state gov- from the state budget as far as getting a line item in place to help support the the math program. So it took it took several um, it took a couple of years in order to work with the legislature on this to get support from the agricultural community for them to start to see the value and and the, the benefit here as well as getting the individual food banks across the state involved. And so it took a lot of time just to create that network or that support system uh, to then go to the legislature to say, this is something that is worth your time and worth your ability or your while to fund. And so we were finally successful getting a a very small grant. I want to say it was around 200000 very, very small, and it would uh, cover the cost of trucking and processing this food. So if it was turning apples into applesauce or bagging potatoes so they can go from one network to another or, or just shipping them from you know the, the, the field in Saginaw to the food bank in Detroit, whatever cost there was involved in that. And it really quickly grew from there because the farmers all of a sudden were very excited because they had this secondary market. And then the food banks were seeing a phenomenal success as far as what they were able to offer and and the fact that the people they were serving were wanting more and more of it. At that point, it really started getting noticed by the food banks in other states. And before long, other states were starting to model after Michigan's math program, and it grew. And so now there's over, I think there's over 17 states that have a math program or a very similar program, and they get they receive state support as well. What I'm most proud of is not only has this program uh, been successful and been going since the early 90s, it's been sustained since the early 90s. And it's only grown because of the value that it provides and because it seems like every year we have access to another type of crop or another specialty crop or or more food. And um, we're pretty proud that the state uh, legislature has supported it through this whole whole time, and that's largely because of the advocacy efforts of the food bank. Because one of the things that they've always been able to just demonstrate and that's so important when you're working with state government is showing what what you're getting what the deliverable deliverables are and, and what's the bang for your buck uh, they can tell you from the how many cents per pound a meal costs through the mass program and they can tell you how many pounds of food they've been able to distribute in a year through that program and what the value of that of that is overall and it's that piece of it that has been so successful because the legislatures can see it, 
They can see it in paper. They can see it in their communities. And they, they can hear it, hear the success from not only the constituents who might be the recipient of the food, but from the farmer who's been able to be involved in, in creating this program well, and providing if, for it. Well, Stephanie, we, I don't think we'd have that program if it weren't for you. That, that would be the first thing, the value that you've added to us. And to boil that down using the household impact model, the economic part of that, you and I have been before the state budget director several times, in fact, three different state budget directors, to mm-hmm. make our case for this program. And we bring a one-pager, and essentially they will say... Um, We'll say, here's the amount of money you gave us, $1.7 million for food, uh, $1.9, something along that line. And when you take it through the household impact model and understand the number of meals that it, that it um, generates for adults and for children and what the low end of the USDA price structure is for meals, that $1.7, $1.9 million turns into about $20 million worth of household impact on an economic level for the food that we're distributing into the households. And I just don't think there's probably many state programs that can furnish that kind of return on investment. Correct. That, and that's again, goes back to when it, why it's one of the programs that I just I thoroughly enjoy lobbying for because of all the winners that are created as a result of that of that small line item and it that would small be, investment yep it would be wrong not to put a little shout out for dr phil in here too i mean so as one of the seven food banks that depend on the food bank council of michigan to work with you stephanie and the legislature and the governor's office and all of the other people in lansing uh we are so proud of of uh Dr. Phil and his team and the work that they do supporting you, supporting us, and really helping us drive this impact on a statewide level. Yeah. Well, thank you very much for that. Well, it's it's a team effort, that's for sure. Yeah. Uh, and Stephanie and I, we enjoy working together. And, um, you know, we sneak off occasionally to have lunch at you know, Los Tres Amigos. <laughs> yes. A little plug for our favorite Mexican restaurant there in downtown Lansing. Um, so, yeah, we've got, she's been very gracious to us. The whole firm has been, um, we, we feel like we're part of the KRKM family. Well, you are. And we, we really, we love representing the Food Bank Council. It's, it's a real honor because it's such a great organization, and I'm so proud to have been a part of it for as long as I have, and I hope to be for long into the future. Well, that, that, that's, that's the same on our end. And it looks like you escaped having to give perspectives about uh, the, the 10 or 12 years you've worked with the Food Bank about regarding uh, our board meetings. So we'll... <laughs> We'll, 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 yeah, I got you out of here before he asked you that. She's Stephanie Johnson. She's a partner at KRKM and the best, most appropriate, um, excellent way that you could use the term lobbyist. That's Stephanie Johnson. And Stephanie, thanks for being our guest on Food for Thought. Thank you. And thank you for having me very much. Jerry and I'll be right back in just a moment. It's 
Food for Thought with Dr. Phil Knight. Presented by the Food Bank Council of Michigan. Once again, here's Dr. Phil Knight. Welcome back, everyone. Jerry, that's Stephanie Johnson. And Stephanie is such an admirable human being. I mean, it's um, it's a pleasure and a joy to work with her. She is so smart and so helpful, and she puts the cookies on the right shelf. I mean, you can't imagine when, all, when, when we all walk into, okay, how do we do this, and what do we do, and who do we have to talk to, and what committees they're on, and all right. those very specific pieces of information that you need to know to be effective, and Stephanie is so patient with us, and she says, okay, here's what we're going to do, and she breaks it down for, this is you, Jerry, and who you're going to talk to, and and this is who Ken Estelle from Feeding America West Michigan is going to talk to, and here's who the Food Bank of Eastern Michigan has talked to, and getting all that organized and helping us really understand it. I mean, she's amazing and very patient and very effective. So a lot of times in this day and age, um, the term lobbyist is not seen in a positive light until you meet and work with someone like Stephanie. So you said one of the, a great human being. I'm telling you top five I've ever known. Yeah. Yep. And, and it's because of the strength of her character, the right. essence of who she is and the 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 integrity that oozes so people are going to be shot integrity lobbyist are you what (laughs) (laughs) i'm telling you and she has chosen to give a large portion of her professional life into helping us advance this mission and again it's it's until you really get to know people in this work and you can see different stripes right um, there are people in this work who do it because they want to make a difference, because they care deeply about our community, and they want to make sure that they're helping the legislature be effective, not because they're getting paid a bojillion dollars by somebody that doesn't care. That right. that happens, and that's why people don't like lobbyists, because that stuff happens. But in our world and in our universe, having somebody competent to help us navigate these systems effectively is critically important to getting our job done. And to getting to a food secure community. Well, look, your eighth grade civics lessons on how a bill gets passed in the legislature ain't enough. Right. (laughs) (laughs) Not if you want to see constructive, steady, positive change. No, it can't. And it can't happen. Like we talked about a week ago in a show that we're dropping people off the financial cliff at eleven dollars eleven fifty an hour and they got to get to seventeen seventeen fifty an hour in order to get back to where they were prior to having making eleven dollars an hour and having their benefits so uh senator wayne smith bumps into us on the mackinac island and said phil i just saw the self-sufficiency standard you guys did and we got to quit dropping people off this cliff. We got to have policies that reward and incentivize work and allow people to keep their benefits longer. I'm going, holy wow, this is incredible. That, that relationship with Senator Schmidt doesn't happen without Stephanie. Right. And because she can help us get in touch with the people who are going to be inclined to at least listening. That doesn't mean they'll be convinced every time, but they understand the issue well enough and and 
believe in it enough that they're going to start listening and then they'll help get the next person on board and it's that relationship building that makes so much difference and and in the midst of all of that relation building is term limits right that make the, her job and mine too quite frankly even more challenging yep because as soon as you get the relationship boom they're gone you know we jokingly say as soon as folks learn where the bathrooms are at by the time they get there, they're ready to make good, really good legislation, and they're termed out. Yep, they're gone. Yep. So, some balance in that would would certainly help advance our mission and make it easier to do so. I think it's time for a little food for thought. I think we understand this work going forward by gleaning from our past. Santanyana held a great perspective, but I think it can also be true. On the positive side, he said, for those who don't understand history, they're condemned to repeat it. But what if we work as hard and as smart as we can, and before we're finished, we move the needle and set the next generation up for success in advancing and creating food security across our state? What would it be like for folks to stand over us and say, To those who understand history, they're compelled to repeat it. Wow, that would be cool. And lots of hungry kids, seniors, and working families wouldn't need us anymore, as Stephanie said. Let's do it. Thanks for listening, everyone. You guys are the best. We are back here on WJR next Sunday evening at 9 p.m., and we are always on at foodsecuremichigan.org. That's it for tonight. So until next week, remember, it's food first, folks. Food first. Food for Thought has been a presentation of Farm Bureau Insurance of Michigan and the Food Bank Council of Michigan, creating a food-secure state.